0: Let's close, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into 2 Chronicles 30. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, I ask that man would decrease, that spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And Lord, I know that everyone is here, none by chance, all by divine appointment, and whatever each of us may be going through tonight, may you meet us here. We pray also for those that are watching this now on live stream, those that will watch this later, that you administer to their hearts as well. Lord, we ask these things in your holy, and your precious name, we pray And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 30. And so if you were here last week, or if you weren't, I'll catch up a little bit. Remember that through chapter 28, we had King Ahaz. Was he a good or a wicked king? He was the most wicked king that Judah ever had. So wicked that he was having human sacrifice of his children. He had boarded up the temple. He had uh, started worshiping of all the false gods and set up altars to them everywhere. And he was so far away from the Lord that it literally says their moral depravity was running rampant in Judah. Now remember, he's the king of God's people. But we know that last week we saw that he passed away and he had a son by the name of Hezekiah. Was Hezekiah a good or a, or a wicked king? What's the answer? He's a good king. And what's amazing about that is he is the son of the most evil king ever, and you could argue he was the most godly king in all of Judah's history. And so, we can see that as as believers, as children, as fathers that we don't have to follow the pattern Of somebody who's gone before us who's not walking with the Lord and we would hope that if we do have somebody who walks with the Lord that we would follow in that pattern but Hezekiah to me is such a great example and what we saw last week is that when he became king he was just 25 years old and he had all these issues going on the Assyrians had attacked and overthrown Israel and taken most of them as we will see tonight captive So he had at his northern border, the Assyrian army about to come in and attack him. He also had idols everywhere in the land, everywhere he looked. Moral depravity was running rampant, and the temple was completely shut down. So he takes over as king. He's 25 years old, and with all these things that he's facing, what does he address first? Well, I love Hezekiah because what we saw him do was focus first and foremost on making Judah a nation that worshiped God above all else. He was, this wasn't even as he was worried about the enemies that were mounting up. He wasn't even as worried about the idol worship at the moment. What he wanted the focus to, to be was, we need to fall in love with the Lord again. I'd love to have Hezekiah as president of the United States. Amen? So here's this man, and because he made that standard, and he... First thing he did was rebuild and repair the temple. It had been destroyed for the most part. He had to re-put together all the furnishings. He had to uh, take down all the garbage. Literally, they, they turned the temple into a garbage dump. And it took 17 days just to clean all the garbage out of the temple and to get the temple back in working order. And so as we come to tonight's text, he's got the focus back on the Lord He's called the people to start worshiping the true and living God again. And if you have your outline, grab it. Last week it was, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This week, it's time to come home. Now, it's time to come home because these people living in Judah and the ones living in Israel that will be addressed tonight are all ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're all God's chosen people. And sadly, they had, for about 200 years now, been walking away from the Lord largely. There have been some good kings in Judah, but not a single good king in Israel. And God's righteous judgment had come upon them, and now they're in a time when they needed to, or when he wanted them to come home. Like, it's time for us to get right with God again. And it's so easy when everyone around you is living a life of immoral uh, depravity, that to follow them and just to go with the flow we're going to see in tonight's text that even the priests are going to feel convicted tonight when the worship starts again because they're going to realize there were people that wanted to worship all, the long, all along but nobody would lead them reminds me of that line in the Jesus Revolution movie you haven't seen it I think it's on Netflix it's online somewhere you should go watch it but when they asked Lonnie, when Chuck Smith asked Lonnie Frisbee, tell me about your people, he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what Judah needed was a godly man to take a lead. And what our country needs today, what our, your workplace needs today, what our households need today, is godly men and women to take the lead, to be a Christ-like example, to point people back to Jesus in a world that has gotten so far from him. So here are the five points in tonight's text. It's time to come home. First, by reminding by being reminded all that the Lord has done for you. You know what? When we take communion, we're to do it in remembrance of the greatest act of love in all of human history. Tonight we're going to see that King Hezekiah isn't satisfied just getting the temple back up and running. He's going to want to reestablish Passover. At this point, Passover has not been celebrated for about 200 years. So here's this man who's not just happy that the temple is open and they're making sacrifices again. He wants to reestablish Passover. And what would Passover do? It would be an annual reminder to the people of Judah and of Israel how God delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. It was God's deliverance. And we'll talk about this in detail, but we know it was the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. The angel of death passed over and they were delivered. Now for you and I, Passover not only looks back to Egypt, but for them, it was looking forward to the cross, and for us, it looks back to the cross. And guys, we should never lose sight of the cross of Calvary. It so easily can become common amongst even Christians. One of the things I do a lot is when I see somebody wearing a cross, and I don't care where I am, I'll just, if I'm, I'm in line at the store, wherever I am, hey, what is? I love your cross. Does that mean something to you? I ask him every time, and some people will say, yes, it reminds me of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Sometimes I'll get someone to say, well, I bought it because it matches my earrings. But it's always an opportunity to point people to the cross, and we need to be daily reminded, daily thoughtful of the greatest act of love, and so we need to be reminded. It's time to come home and to be reminded of all that the Lord has done for you. Number two, by boldly calling a lost world to repent? Now, everybody wants to sign up for this, right? This is not something that most people feel comfortable doing. We're going to see in tonight's text that Hezekiah is going to get the temple back in order. He's going to make a calling to start honoring Passover again. And then he's going to send out runners throughout all of the land to tell people that they need to come to Jerusalem for Passover, to repent, to come back to God. Now remember that virtually all the people they're going to be talking to are idol worshippers. Virtually all of them are going, we'll see, I'm giving it away, most of them are going to mock them when they call them to do it. They're going to laugh at them when they call them to do it. And a lot of times that's why we don't share our faith, because we don't want to be laughed at, or we don't want to be mocked. We're afraid we won't have the question, uh, the answer to the question that they pose to us. And so we can be fearful of sharing our faith. And look, let's be honest, every one of us pretty awkward at some point, right? When you want to talk to somebody, it can be awkward. And so we need to pray for boldness and opportunities. And we're going to see in tonight's text that most of the people are going to mock them, but some people are going to come. And my exhortation for all of us, would it be worth it to talk to a thousand people about the Lord, have 999 of them mock you, and one person get saved? What's the answer? Absolutely. Now again, we save no one. That's what the Lord does. But the point is being made that it doesn't matter how many no's we get or how many people reject it. And guys, by the way, every seed that's planted, it it will not return in vain. Some plant, some water, some reap a harvest. And we don't know until we get to heaven how God's going to use that opportunity to minister to somebody. But that's one of the exhortations from tonight's text was to boldly call a lost world to repent. Number three, by living a justified and a sanctified life. In tonight's text, he's going to talk to them, not just about getting right with God, but also about living a holy life. As born-again believers, we're born again. We're going to heaven. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works that any man should boast. So our good works don't save us, but good works should be fruit of salvation. And as we're called to come home, it's to live a holy and set-apart life. Now, all of us know this, but we need to be reminded. God gives us direction because he knows what's best for us and when we walk in the center of god's will we are going to live a blessed life it doesn't mean we won't go through trials because we will count all joy my brethren when you fall into various trials but if we're going to fall if i'm going to go through a trial i want to go through it because i'm walking with god i don't want to be consequences of sin because i'm walking contrary to god amen number four by resting in the grace of god We're going to see that it's not about keeping religious rituals but by walking in intimate fellowship with Almighty God. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? When you wake up in the morning, is he the first thing on your mind? Do you begin your day with prayer? Do you spend your day talking to the Lord as you're moving about your day? Do you have intimate fellowship with God or is it something that you do 15 minutes a night or you know on Sundays and Thursdays or whenever there's church? And so as believers, we should walk in intimate, we're married to Jesus in a sense, right? We're the bride of Christ, the Bible tells us. And the exhortation, the encouragement in my own walk is that I want to be closer to the Lord tomorrow than I am today. And to know him better is to love him more, amen? And then finally, by keeping, resting in the grace of God, continuing to grow in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Again, by having a heart of worship. You know, it's hard to be far from God when you're worshiping him amen when you when i'm in my car and i'm worshiping that's my favorite place to worship because i I, because i can sing off key and nobody cares amen and i just i can worship the lord at the top of my lungs and when i'm worshiping my focus is on him i'm singing to him i'm thinking of the eternal and i'm crying out to god by growing in your knowledge of the lord again to know him better to love him more by gathering together with unbelievers you're here on a night when we switch the night you're still here god bless you guys And by living every day in the joy of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. We'll get in the text. If I interviewed your neighbors or your coworkers or people in your family, you know, secondary part of your family, cousins or whatever, and I asked them, you know, give me some words to describe your aunt or your neighbor. Would joy be on the list? Because as believers, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, joy. Peace, kindness, goodness, right? So love and joy. As believers, we should have joy. And again, Jesus, others, yourself gives us joy. But we should be people that, again, because we have an eternal focus, can walk in joy. So let's begin there looking at it's time to come home, being reminded of all that the Lord has done for you. So again, the setting, the Assyrian army has just overcome Israel. They're mounted at the northern border, we know that they've been invading uh, the Syrians the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's a dangerous time for the nation of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah has been ruled for 16 years by a man by the name of Ahaz, who was evil. Ahaz led the nation far from God. He even ordered to board up the temple. And then Hezekiah, as we saw last week, took his place. I love Hezekiah. The meaning of his name is Jehovah made me strong. That's a great name. And one of the first things he did was reopen the temple. Go back to verse 36. I'm going to just, for a little context. So it says there, Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced, chapter 29, verse 36, that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. In just 17 days, they had taken the temple that had turned into an ash heap, or or a garbage heap, and they had cleaned it up in 17 days. They had rebuilt all the furnishings that had been destroyed and cut into pieces. They had the temple ready for the worship of the true and living God. Again, and the sacrifices had ceased. The temple doors had been shut, and now they're ready to worship again, and there's joy in the house of the Lord. Verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah, and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that's two of the tribes within Israel, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. Now, this doesn't sound like much until you realize that Israel and Judah were enemies. And so literally, he's going to send out a message to the people that have been trying to destroy Judah to ask them to come to church. That'd be like going to the neighbor that took a shot at you with a shotgun last week and inviting him to church. He literally literally has a heart to see people return to the Lord. And so even though Israel had been their enemy and had attacked them numerous times, he sends out word, he writes out a letter, and he's going to send it out and call people not only from Judah, but from Israel to come and return and worship the Lord again. Now often we will look at some people and we will say they are past saving. You look at certain people like that's the last person would ever get saved well you know there was a person like that during the early days of the church that if you had asked all the believers who's the last guy you think would ever get saved i think most of them would say saul of tarsus he was attacking christians he was a self-righteous pharisee who was had orders to go out and attack Christians to have them, he held the coats while they stoned Stephen, and that would be the last guy you would think would ever get saved. Well, we know he got saved, and his name became what? The Apostle Paul. And God used him to write most of the New Testament. Now, that being said, see that we we can look at certain people and just give up on them. Oh, that person's way too far from getting saved. I'm not even gonna try praying for them anymore. They're a lost cause. Well, I love Hezekiah's heart, he loves the Lord. He wants other people to know God. He's reestablished, reopened the temple, reestablished the sacrificial system. And I love a guy with some vision, because he's like, dude, we're gonna start doing the Passover again. We haven't done Passover in 200 years. Good time to start. And I love this guy, because we can get so far away from what God wants us to do, and praise God for somebody who stands up and says, we need to get right with the Lord again. He wasn't satisfied with just getting the temple back in working order and the priesthood and the sacrifices and worship and offerings and people gathering. He writes these letters to Judah, but also to Israel. And he mentions there Ephraim and Manasseh, two of the tribes in Israel. Now keep in mind that most of the people in Israel at this point are now in captivity, but there's still a remnant that's there. And so he's going to send these people a great distance to go up and find this remnant and try to invite them to come and join their brothers and sisters, because that's what they are. They're all God's people. Now, to keep Passover, again, it had been about over 200 years, and his first month as king, he restores the temple and worship and sacrifices, and he doesn't stop there. His focus is still on making Almighty God the priority and passion of all of Judah and Israel. You know, that should be the priority of our lives, the desire to see more people in love with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer this. Just think about this in your own heart. And I'll even admit, this would be tough for me, just being transparent in my flesh. If Someone came to you tomorrow and said, you know that big lottery? It's at like $800 million. You can win the lottery, or you can pick anybody you want to see saved. I would hope we would all pick the latter. Some of us might justify it by going, well, I could really help the church with some of that $800 million. I could... By a Christian radio station. I could do a lot for the Lord. Guys, the only thing that matters after this life is what have you done with God's son, amen? And all these things that we chase after in this world, and I love King Hezekiah. He's still not worried about the Assyrians. The Assyrians are mounted up. He's gonna send guys to invite people to, to come for Passover when the Assyrians are occupying the land. He's got a one-track mind. I wanna see people get right with God. That is the priority of my life. That is the passion of my life. Man, I love Hezekiah. Man, I'm a Coke with that brother in heaven. Amen? Sit down and talk to him. So the Assyrians are mounting up. Worship of false gods is still rampant in the land. People have walked away from God. It's a time of trouble and desolation. And again, his heart is one thing alone, and that's to see people walking with the Lord verse 2 for the king and his leaders all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month now Passover was always on the first month of the Jewish calendar on the 14th day and the reason was that's when God delivered them out of bondage in Egypt the problem is that when he took over as king he took over in the first month and he was repairing the temple and reestablishing and getting everything ready that by the time it was ready, the day for Passover had passed. So they came together and decided, well, we missed it, but we don't want to wait a year. It would be like if we missed Christmas so you know, we'll just, we'll just celebrate it on January 25th. We're just going to have it anyway. And we're going to just celebrate it in the next month. Now, what's interesting about this is this had already happened before. It happened... Uh, Many hundreds of years earlier, when they wanted to celebrate Passover, but because of a plague in the land, so many of the priests had been defiled that they didn't have enough to actually celebrate Passover, so they waited and did it in the second month. Now, God would allow that. God's more concerned about their heart before Him than the day that they celebrate it. And I, and and, you know, sometimes people will tell you, well, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. That means mean I could care less. I just care that he was born. Can I get an amen to that? And whatever day we pick to celebrate it, I'm celebrating it. And by the way, we should celebrate it every day. Amen? And so they missed the opportunity to keep the Passover. But having waited 200 years, they did not want to wait another year. So they literally came together, sought the Lord, and said, Hey, we're going to do it. We're going to do it on the 14th of the second month. Because we're not going to wait any longer. We want to celebrate and remember our deliverance out of bondage. We want to look back and remember when God took us out of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. And so with the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross, we were delivered out of bondage. And through the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary, we've been delivered out of bondage. Amen? And so they wanted to remember that. And they didn't want to wait another year to do so. Hezekiah is in that same position, and Hezekiah and the leaders come together and say, let's do it now. And I want to say that as believers. We should always have a heart to do it now, whatever God's calling us to do, rather than wait another year. Amen? If God calls you to do something, be about it today. Let's not wait. Verse four, and verse three, for they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. So they hadn't completed the temple. They didn't have enough priests that had consecrated themselves. Now, to, do pa- to take Passover, this is going to come into play in a minute, you had to be rituistically ritualistically clean. So you had to be cleansed. And there were certain things you had to do to be able to enter into the temple, to be able to take part in Passover. And because of all the things they were doing and rebuilding, they had not been able to do that. And we're going to see all these people, and I'm giving it away, but there are going to be a huge number of people that come not just from Judah, but many from the remnant are all going to come from far away, and none of them have done the rituals they needed to do to be cleansed to take part in Passover. And we're going to see how God responds to that, because He is a God of love and grace and mercy. Again, Ideally, you want to do the right thing at the right time, but Passover is clearly a picture of the cross, and we're not going to keep Passover with priests who are not consecrated or without giving the people who wanted to be there time to be there. So they're going to go ahead and postpone it, verse 4. And then it says, And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. They were pleased to say, let's do it. Let's celebrate God. Let's not wait. Let's get our people's eyes back on God. And what we're going to see is there are going to be some things that change immediately as soon as they start observing Passover again. We're going to see some things that are pictures of what revival looks like. See, when we give our life to the Lord and we make him the priority and the passion of our life, it should change how we live every day. And it should change some of the things that we tolerate and the things that we pursue. And it's a good thing they didn't wait a whole nother year because we're gonna see some immediate things take place within the land. After they've interacted with God, they can't help but live different. And when you've given your life to the Lord and surrendered to Him, you can't help but live different. What an amazing change in the hearts of the people. They were all excited. Now remember, just 17 days before, they were worshiping idols. Just 17 days before, they were having human sacrifices. Just 17 days before, the temple was boarded up and nobody can enter it. And now, because one man stood for the things of God, we see those that maybe had been hiding in the shadows because they were afraid of what would happen if they stood for God amongst all the idolatry. And now you see that the whole assembly is excited to worship God again. And sometimes it takes one person to stand up and say, no, no, we're going to worship God. For others to say, yes, I've been waiting for somebody to take a stand for the Lord so I could worship God too. And that's what's taking place right here within the land of Judah. In midst of all the wickedness, righteousness is going to rise again in both Judah and Israel. Reinstating the sacrifices and the worship of the true and living God in Jerusalem had been filled by his father ahaz with moral depravity idol worship and human sacrifices and now they're pleased and excited about passover praise the lord amen they're excited about passover so point number one there it's time to come home first by being reminded all that the lord has done for you again passover is both looking back to those being delivered out of bondage and looking forward to the cross of Calvary. Point number two, by boldly calling a lost world to repent. Look at verse five. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. It had been 200 years Whenever you see in the Bible from Beersheba to Dan or Dan to Beersheba, Dan is the northernmost major city in Israel, and Beersheba is the southernmost part of Israel. So when they say from Dan to Beersheba, they're saying the entire land, all of the land. They say from Beersheba to Dan in this case, because Judah's in the south. Which means they are going to make proclamation all the way to the northernmost point of Israel. They're going to enter that land even though the Assyrians have taken it over. And there's a remnant that's wandering through there. And they're going to walk through and encourage people to come and join them in Passover, remembering all that the Lord had done for them. Hezekiah's priority again openly invites the people of Israel to join them. Israel their enemies at the time led by wicked kings and idol worshipers and ungodliness and God judged them using the Assyrians to bring them into captivity because they were so evil but still in the midst of that he reaches out to them and you know that should be our heart I want to tell you something here's something that's been a prayer in my heart praise God that Chuck reached out to the hippies amen God used him But are there some groups of people right now that need Jesus that we should be trying to reach out to and figuring out a way to do it? Can I get an amen to that? And pray. My heart is, how do we reach these people that are so far? How do we reach people that deny the existence of God and don't know what gender they are? All that mess. And these are hurting people that need Jesus. Amen? And he's the answer. And so here he's sending it to the people that are least likely to come. The ones that are most likely to mock. And yet he's going to go anyway. And I'll tell you, that was an exhortation for me this week as I've been studying this. He was more focused on Israel turning back to God than trying to win a war against his enemy. He saw them as, yeah, they were his enemy, but he said, you know what? They need the Lord. And praise God for that. One of the things that God taught me in the early 90s, for seven years in a row, I started going to Russia. And my first time going there, the wall had not come down yet. And so the cities I went into with a group of teenagers, we were the first Americans that had ever been there. And if you're my age or around my age, when we grew up, Russia was the evil empire enemy of the United States. Can I get an amen? Anybody grew up with that besides me? And like you root against them in the Olympics. Hate the Russians, you know, right? Everything was Russia against the U.S. Then I go to Russia and I'm in this little village and we're going into schools every day and we're sharing the gospel with these people, and we're doing Bible studies at night, and I'm teaching in the church, and what I found is these are people that Jesus created, that God created that Jesus loves so much he'd rather die than live without, and they were not the evil empire. Maybe their government was, but these are precious people that the Lord loves, and I wanted to see him saved. Amen? And it just changes your heart when you go from looking at people as the enemy instead of, and when we should be looking at them as, as an opportunity. That's somebody that needs Jesus, and the Lord loves them. And how do we reach them? Then it says in verse 6, Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and the leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the the hand of the kings of Assyria. So he's saying, Clearly, if you're still here, you've escaped the Assyrians taking you captive. But I love that he says, Abraham, Isaac, and what? Israel. Now, what's Israel's name before it became Israel? What is it? Jacob. But notice he says Israel, because where is he? He's in Israel. And he's reminding them that I know you live amongst idolatry, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's their God that is your God. He's reminding them of who their fathers in the faith were. He's reminding all of them that have gotten so far away from the Lord. And you know what? I know that I'm not a super political guy, but our nation needs to be reminded that we were founded as a Christian nation. And people will debate you on that, but it's a fact. And we need to get back to that again. Amen? Amen? Lord, help us. So that a remnant, those who have escaped, and Hezekiah still believed in the concept of the children of Israel. Those are the tribes of Israel that descended from, again, the same patriarchs that the people in Judah had. Though divided, Judah and Israel were still God's chosen people. In the history of the divided kingdoms, there were some attempts to reunify. But every other time they tried to reunify, they tried to do it by force. So what they would do is they would come in and have a war and then try to make them one nation again. And that never worked. Hezekiah's way is much better. He says, instead of having a war to unite us, how about if we're united at the foot of the throne of Almighty God? How about if we're united in worshiping God together? How about if we're united in remembering Passover and celebrating all the feasts and all the things that point to the true and living God? See, Forcing someone to unify doesn't work. But coming together at the foot of the cross, that's something that the Lord can do. Amen? And that's what he's calling them to. Unity not by force, but by a common love and heart of worship for Almighty God. You've heard me say it before, the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. I met a lady when I was flying home and I had a Christian t-shirt on and she had a Christian shirt on and she goes, hey, I like your shirt. And I said, hey, I love yours. And then we started talking about the Lord. And then I gave her one of my cards and we were talking about the Lord for maybe three minutes. And we were in line getting ready to get on the plane. And I'm walking away and she just hugs me, I hug her. And then I, I said, well, you know what? You're my sister in Christ and if I don't see you again, I'll see you when I get to heaven. And she hugged me again and kissed me on the cheek and I got on the plane. Guys, when you have Jesus in common, doesn't it bring you close together? What's the answer? She wouldn't have kissed me on the cheek if we had the same 49ers shirt on. That's not happening, amen? What's happening is it's when you have the Lord in common. This is the heart of Hezekiah. Hey, guys, I'm not going to try to overrun you by force. Let's be unified in our love for the true and living God. He's waiting for all of us to turn. The word to turn there, again, is to repent. And he's calling these guys to repentance. Come home to the Lord. How's that idolatry working out for you up in Israel? How have all those wicked kings for 200 years? How's that working out? How's, how's all this stuff that's taking place in the land? See, you've been away from God. It's a total disaster. It's time to come on home. And you know what? There's people in our lives that need to hear that message. How's that working out since you walked away from the Lord? It's time to come on home. Amen? I see all these people online deconstructing Christians oh, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. And I'd let them know, well, no, if you're not now, you never were. Amen? But we live in a time where people that were self-professing Christians are walking away from the Lord. This is what Israel has done. Israel has turned their lives completely over to the world, and the tragedy is they're headed to an eternal separation from God. Look at verse 7. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren, who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, so they gave them up to desolation as you see. Do not be like your fathers. Hezekiah is a perfect example of somebody to save us, right? Hezekiah had the worst, most ungodly dad of any king who ever lived, and Hezekiah is a godly man being used mightily by God. So if anybody can say, you don't have to be like your wicked dad. You don't have to be like your fathers who turned their back on the true living God. You can surrender your life to the Lord. And he's calling them to come home. Look what he says there in verse 8. Now, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Stiff-necked. This is especially relevant that the letter went to the remnant in the northern kingdom, and generally speaking, they neglected Passover for so long. And he's saying, for 200 years, your dad, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather, all of you have turned your back on God. Don't be stiff-necked like the, all the generations before you. And guys, we cannot blame our parents, our grandparents, or our great-grandparents for where we are today. Because when we stand before Almighty God in Judgment Day, the only thing that will matter is what have we done with God's Son. And the Lord loves you so much. Again, He'd rather die than live without you. Look what He says there. And He says in verse 7, "You trespassed the Lord God of their fathers. He gave them up to desolation. You know, one of the biggest things that people struggle with today, and some of this is clinical, so I'm not saying it's everyone, but a lot of people struggle with depression and fear and anxiety and worry, and even as believers, we can have moments of that, amen? We can have times where we struggle with that, but there are people that live in that, and they can't overcome it, and sometimes it is a chemical thing, but other times it's because our lives are meaningless without the Lord, amen? I mean, there's so many people I talk to that say, well, I tried everything. I tried, you know, I thought, I thought if I made enough money, but I made all this money, so what? I thought, if, I thought if I got the most beautiful girlfriend, the most handsome, you know, husband, but you know, and okay, and I love him, but I love her, but that's it's still, something's missing. Well, oh, I thought if I got this great career, I thought if I got the big house, I mean, I've tried everything and nothing is satisfied. I've tr- I even tried drugs because I didn't know what else to turn to. And what happens is you realize that, Anything this world has to offer will never satisfy you because God created you to have a relationship with him and only a relationship with him will ever fill that God-shaped vacuum, amen? And so this is the calling and the exhortation. Don't be stiff-necked like your dads. Don't fall into the same trap and follow in their footsteps. How's that working out for them, by the way? And so he's exhorting them, it's time to come home. Verse eight, and he says there, uh, do not be stiff-necked as your father's word, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. So when talking, especially to the ones in Israel, they are, they are in captivity or remnants that have escaped it for the moment that are on the run for their lives because of their own evil. God allowed the Assyrians to take them captive because for 200 years, they rejected God. For 200 years, they're worshiping idols. For 200 years, they're outside of God's will. So finally, God just allows them and brings the righteous judgment. We talked about this on Sunday. The wrath of God came upon them. And now he's telling them, look, turn back to the Lord, and he will turn the wrath away from you. Surrender your life to the Lord, and he will remove the consequences that have been taking place in your life because you've been walking so far from him. How many of us deserve the wrath of God? We all do. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we surrendered our life to him, what did he do? He turned the wrath away from us. He removed it from us by his grace. And to a a certain level, that's what Hezekiah is telling the men in Israel and the women in Israel. Hey, come worship God. He'll take the fierceness away from you. Come worship the true and living God and you'll no no longer have to walk a life filled with loneliness and fear and a life, again, that has no peace because you're living it in your flesh. Verse nine, for if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who, who led them captive so that they may come back to this land For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. This is a great verse to memorize. This is a great verse to underline in your Bible. He's telling them, to paraphrase here, if you return to the Lord, God is going to show you grace. If you return to the Lord, he's going to show you mercy. If you return to the Lord, God will bless your family. If you return to the Lord, You will no longer be under the righteous judgment of God. This invitation promised two things. And again, if they would obediently follow the Passover, that under God's blessing, it would go well with those who have been taken captive. And second, that God would restore the northern kingdom and allow them to come back to the land. Hezekiah boldly says, if you guys all return to the Lord, he'll remove the Assyrians. He'll give you the land back if you surrender your life to the Lord. And again, Hezekiah, one-track mind. I love this guy. Get right with the Lord. Get right with the Lord. Get right with the Lord. I feel like that's all he says. Get right with the Lord. Make God the priority again. If you get right with the Lord, he'll bless you. If you get right with the Lord, he'll take the wrath away from you. If you get right from the Lord, he'll give you your land back. Get right with the Lord. And you know what? We need to have a one-track mind like him. Now, point number, at the end of point number two there, look what happens in verses 10 to 12. So he sends these guys out to tell them, So they all went out and everybody got saved, right? Everybody decided to come. That's not what happened. And sometimes, here's what I hear a lot. I've got several guys that I, I don't know, I would say disciple, that are planting churches. And and all the churches to some degree are struggling, and they typically do. Uh, The one down in uh, Brazil is doing very, very well, and keep praying for that. But a couple of the others are struggling. And when you talk to them, and I get it, They're working full time jobs. They're studying 50 to 60 hours a week. And they're planting a church. And they prepare all week and spend all this time doing it. And they show up, and six people are there. And when they were sent to that city or felt like God called them, they thought they would show up. Not necessarily that the church would get huge, but they just feel like, man, am I wasting my time? There seems to be no fruit here. And it can get discouraging. Because they have a certain expectation. And no doubt when these guys were sent out to the northern kingdom by the king, they may have expected a lot of these people are going to respond. We're going to go up there and convince them all to come down. And that's not what's going to happen. This is why it's so important that you know 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 that you're called to do something. Because when you are, the problems are God's problems. I know that God called me here. Whatever happens... It's God's problem, because I know God called me. If you don't know that you're called, the first problem you have, you got two problems. Was I even supposed to be here? I had a very uh, nice lady call uh, me last night and say she's been watching online for a while, and at the end of it, she said this to me. She goes, I just want to encourage you. Don't leave where you are. You should stay there. And I'm listening to her, and she goes, you don't, you don't have to go to a bigger place. Just stay where you are. And she, she kept going. And finally I said, I'm not going anywhere. I know where I'm called to be. It's a get you not a have to. Amen? And so here they are. Sometimes what will happen is when God has a calling on your life, when God sends you out to do something, you expect certain results. Here's the reality. You do what God's called you to do and leave the results up to him. Amen? And so here's what happens. Watch what happens. These guys go out. Now, it doesn't say they're young, but I can't imagine they're old. Amen? You're going to send a bunch of guys that are 112 years old up to the northern part of Israel? I I just have an idea they're a bunch of young guys, but I could be wrong. Now notice what it says, verse 10. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Nassau as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. So they went out to serve God and to serve the king and to invite people to come to get right with the Lord. And what happened? They laughed at them. And they mocked him. You know, the Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. Now watch what happens. They mocked him. Nevertheless, some of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. So some of the people did come while a majority did not. Now, if they went up and talked to 100,000 people, I have no idea, it doesn't give us a number. If they talked to 50,000 people and 20 people came, would it be worth it? What's the answer? It is worth it. Aren't you glad that someone witnessed to you and didn't give up before it was their time to talk to you about the Lord? But here's what's interesting. How many of you guys have heard of Josephus? So Josephus is a first-century writer who was not a believer, but he's a historian, and he writes a lot about what happened in biblical times. And here's what he says happened to these young men. It's not in Scripture, so I'm just making that clear. Josephus said the Israelites killed both the messengers and the prophets that exhorted them to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Again, while some will respond, many will seek to silence those who call people to repent. So no doubt some of them died, no doubt. But all of that went, no doubt, could have been discouraged that they were just looking for some massive event to take place. I had a pastor friend of mine when he planted a church, he goes, I envisioned that within a year I'd have about 2000 people. And by the end of about five years, I'd be filling up stadiums. And he goes, and then God gave me a humble pill. And after two years, I was still meeting in my living room. And most of the people there were family members. God has a way of keeping you humble, amen? And it's God's word that changes lives. And these guys went out and they were faithful to do what they were called. Some of them, no doubt, were put to death. They didn't see the results they might have hoped for, but again, they were faithful. And we leave the results up to God. I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but I read this uh, article not too long ago. And it was a letter written by a guy who was in the Persian Gulf many years ago. And he was on a ship, and then he was there, and he, he was on a ship where he said there were 350 people on the ship, and there was not one other believer on the ship. And he's writing back to his family, and what he's telling them is, Mom and Dad, there's no Bible studies here. Mom and Dad, nobody here wants to talk about the Lord. Nobody here wants to pray with me. I have zero fellowship. I have I don't have a pastor I can ask questions. I don't have a christian radio station i can listen to i don't have any christian music to listen to i'm all by myself i'm surrounded by people that when we're not on the ship all they want to do is get drunk and they mock me that i won't go out and party with them i'm surrounded by people who want nothing to do with god and every time i talk about the lord they shut me down and they mock my faith and what he says is i want you to know mom and dad that being in the military and serving jesus isn't easy then he says at the end of it how strong would you be standing in your faith as if that's how you had to live every single day for several years? And that's what he went through. And so as believers, sometimes we look around and we feel like if we're you know, being mocked or, or if we're under attack of any kind, a lot of times we want to quiet ourselves down. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to be quiet. If he cannot take you to hell with him, he'll t- try to distract you and keep you from being used for the kingdom of God. So these men were mocked, but you know who else was mocked? Jesus. Amen? Jesus was mocked. In Matthew 27, it said, People walked by and insulted Jesus. They shook their heads, saying, You said you could destroy the temple. This is when he's on the cross and build it again in three days. So save yourself. Come down from that cross if you're really the Son of God. The leading priests and the teachers of the law and the older Jewish leaders were also there that made fun of Jesus. He is the king of Israel. He said he could save other people, but he can't save himself. If he's the king, then let him come down now from the cross. Then we will believe in him. He trusts in God, so let God save him now. If God really wants him, he himself said, I am the son of God. What did Jesus say to all of that? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Guys, the next time you're given a hard time for your faith, someone doesn't respond well, someone makes fun of you because you walk with the Lord, just remember, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? And what the young man ended the last of his letter with was he said, you know, as hard as it is for me being on this boat with 350 unbelievers, it's a lot harder for them because they don't know Jesus. There's the perspective we all need to have. Amen? Then, so, some did humble themselves and come. Doesn't tell us how many. And I actually kind of like that. Because it doesn't really matter, does it? If it's one, ten, fifty, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, some of them came. And so sharing the truth and being shut down by most, if a hundred mock, if a thousand mock, and one is saved, it is worth it. So the good news is, it says in Judah, they were all given one heart. So in Israel, a remnant, a number, came down. Most rejected it, most mocked. Some of those messengers were no doubt killed. But it says that Judah was all of one heart. You know what God did in Judah? Virtually everybody in Judah who all had been worshiping idols, who all had been, who had not been to the temple for the 16 years that Ahaz was in charge, are all coming back in unity. And God can do that, amen? God can bring revival, and revival is coming To Judah, They had singleness of heart, obeying the commands of their godly king and the leaders and the word of God. They had one spirit, one savior, and one truth. Point number three. First we saw being reminded all that the Lord has done for you at time to come home by boldly calling a lost world to repent, and now by living both a justified and a sanctified life. Look at verse 13. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month now the feast of unleavened bread is a week long and the way that it began as we as you know if you've studied that at all to keep the feast of unleavened bread it began on the evening of passover and lasted for 7 days on the first days first day homes were being completely cleared of leaven leaven's a picture of what in the bible sin be completely cleared of, of leaven, a symbol of corruption and evil, and had a holy convocation that was called where they prayed and worshipped the Lord, and the week concluded with the same thing. So Passover is a picture of salvation, because we know the Passover. It was the last of the plagues in Egypt. They'd been in bondage, slavery for 430 years in Egypt. They cried out to God. God went and got Moses. We know the story. If you read the, watch the Ten Commandments, right? And the Lord comes to Moses, sends him to be the deliverer with his brother Aaron. He comes and tells him he needs to let the people go. And and the Pharaoh refused. So he kept bringing plagues. And the final plague was Passover. And what was told to them is, look, if you don't take the blood of the lamb, again, inspect it for four days, take its blood and apply it to the top, both sides of the doorpost and the feet, which is in the shape of a cross, long before crucifixion existed. And he said, if you don't do that, the firstborn in your family will die. And Pharaoh's oldest son died. And finally, Pharaoh said, let them go. We know that they left, but we also know that Pharaoh changed his mind quickly because said, who's going to make the bricks, and who's going to build our buildings, and who's going to be our servants? So they chased them, and we know that God parted the Red Sea, and the Egyptians followed them, and all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Amen? And they got to the other side, and so Passover was a reminder of how God delivered them out of bondage. And again, that's what the cross is. The cross is a reminder of how God delivered us out of the bondage to sin. Amen? That we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. And so they gathered together to remember Passover. And it says there that as they they came together... Uh, the, they, then after that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, unleavened bread is more of a picture of the sanctification process. Because salvation, Passover, Passover ends, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread for an entire week begins. And so what are they doing? They're removing leaven. So I've, I, yeah, I've been justified. Passover, the cross of Calvary. I'm, I'm born again. I'm a new creation of Christ. I'm going to heaven. But there's still a work God wants to do in us. And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was them remembering not only what God had done, but now a a calling and a desire to live holy and set-apart lives. Now watch what happens after Passover and unleavened bread. I love this. Look at verse 14. They arose and took the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away the incense altars, and they cast them in the brook Kidron. What did they do? As soon as they got right with God, they went down to the city and grabbed all the altars to all the dead idols and threw them in the river. Man, you got to love it. Amen? Now, when God's doing a work, you know what happens? People turn away from evil. When they gave their life to the Lord, they saw the, these same altars they had been worshiping at a month before. Some of the same places that they were visiting and frequenting and the gods they were crying out to, now that they've given their life to the true and living God, they recognize that false God for what it is. It's demonic, it's horrible, it's evil. And they take it and they throw it into the brook Kidron. What's interesting is when major revivals take place, we see things like that change. How many guys, there's a man by the name of Finney. When Finney, the revival came through this pastor who taught The city he lived in, all the bars closed because nobody went drinking anymore because they got saved. The prison started becoming empty because criminals got saved and they stopped committing crimes. When these guys went to Passover, they wanted nothing to do with these idolatrous altars, and they threw them in the Brook Kidron. Now, the Brook Kidron, if you go to Israel with us, Garden of Gethsemane, you go down and you cross over the Brook Kidron, and you go up into Jerusalem, when Jesus, died on the, when Jesus died on the cross, they were slaying Passover lambs when he was arrested in Gethsemane. And the brook Kidron was flowing with the blood of lambs and goats when Jesus walked over the brook and then was taken up to the cross. So the lamb of God was walking over the blood of the lambs before his blood was shed on the cross of Calvary. And I think it's interesting here, the blood was flowing from Passover, and they're throwing in the altars to these false gods as the blood of lambs is flowing. Because, guys, the blood of the lamb overcomes all the false gods and all the false altars and washes them all away. Can I get an amen to that? Bible rocks. It's good stuff. So they cast them away. And what does it say if we respond to the gospel and we continue to worship the false idols. See, it's not enough to just walk an aisle and pray a prayer. They remembered Passover. They made sacrifices. They surrendered their life again to the Lord, and they went home and something changed. And that's my encouragement for all of us. We're not saved by our good works. It's not Jesus plus anything. Salvation comes by grace alone but because he pours out his grace on us and makes us look at the simple things of this world and this life in a much different way. Look at verse 15. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought their burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. Let's have this be a little interactive here. Why were the priests ashamed? So all these people came, they shed the blood of the lambs, everybody's worshiping, and they're ashamed. Why are they ashamed? What do you think? What were they doing for the last 16 years? They're worshiping idols or they're doing nothing. Who's supposed to be leading them to the Lord? Who would it be? The priests, amen? And for 16 years, we don't see any worship. The temple's been boarded up. Nobody's done anything about it. And now what happens is a king rises up, he calls the people to repentance, the people come, the people repent, they're worshiping God, and the priests sit there and they're ashamed because they know that they should have been the ones that called people to repentance 16 years earlier. Because they were the ones that were put in the positions of leading people spiritually. And maybe because of their fear of King Ahaz or whatever it was, they sat on their sidelines on their hands in fear. And when they saw the move of God, they thought, oh man, we are so ashamed. I truly believe that when I stand before God on judgment day, I won't not on judgment day, because I've been, I'm I, just like you, if you're born again. We don't go to the great white throne judgment because we've already been forgiven. But we go to the bema seat judgment where we will be giving rewards for how faithful that we've been. And there's not a doubt in my mind that there's going to be some things that I'm ashamed about that I didn't do when I should have. Does anybody say amen to that? See, I think that when God has a calling on our life, a lot of times we allow the fear of men to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And I'm not saying you got to do more to, to love God or do more to earn heaven, but, but because we love God, shouldn't we want to do more for him? And shouldn't we want to get out of our comfort zone? Lord, help us. Hezekiah takes a stand for the Lord, repairs and reopens the temple, reinstates the Passover feast. As the crowd comes and worships, as they throw the altars of the false gods into the Kidron, the priest who had been called to intercede between God and man, because that's what a priest does. They represent God to men and men to God. They prayed to God on behalf of the men, and they come and preach God to the men on behalf of God, and obviously they had been doing neither. And so they look and they go, oh, I'm so ashamed. The good news is they're gonna turn back into serving the Lord again. God, God work, good, God's work brings conviction. When you see somebody else serving the Lord and you've been sitting on the sidelines doing nothing, again, often, it's gonna bring us to a place of feeling ashamed, it says, notice what it says at the end of the verse, though. They were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They were ashamed that they had, kept, had been sitting on their hands. They were ashamed that they were not being bold for the Lord. But notice what they do. They go cleanse themselves. They sanctify themselves before the Lord In a sense, they rededicate their lives to God, and they start serving in the temple again. Guys, if you've put yourself on the sideline for any length of time, if you've walked away from the Lord, guys, you can take a million steps away from from God. It's one step back, and God desires to use you again, if you will but let. In verse 16, they stood in their place according to the custom, according to the law of Moses. The man of God, the priest, sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites, For there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify themselves. Now, here's what happened. A lot of the people that came down from Israel, and certainly some of the people that were in Judah, it's been 200 years since there's been a Passover, They don't even know what it means that they have to cleanse themselves. There was ritual cleansing they had to do before they could go in and make sacrifices. So some of them had come, and they had not been, you know, sanctified. And so what happened is the priest had to make the offerings in their place. What would happen is at Passover, each family would bring their own lamb, Each family would bring their own sacrifice, but these families could not do so, so they made the sacrifices on their behalf. Now, what I love about this is it shows the grace of God because even though they didn't come in the way that they were commanded to come, God allowed them to worship him anyway. That's our God, amen? Now, my dad pastored a Baptist church in Wilmington, and... It's one of the many reasons I'm not a denominational guy. But they had a deacon board that ran the church, and they told my dad when he got hired, we'd run our pastor out every two years. So just know that we're in charge. We're going to run you out. We'll find a reason. I'm like, wow, okay. I was a little kid. I still remember it. Well, the church exploded. God blessed it. My dad taught the word he loved people, and the church exploded. Well, about once a year, they would try to vote my dad out. And they would have this big vote, and all these people would show up on a Wednesday night, and they would vote. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. I still remember being like eight or nine years old sitting in the front row where people were get up and saying garbage about my dad. I'm like, really? And then they would vote and they kept voting to keep my dad. Well, one year, my dad had been, we've been there for a long time. I'm sitting at home after church in the living room and the deacons came to the door and they said, Johnny Johnston, we're gonna fire you today because a lady that came from another Baptist church did not bring her membership in good standing card and you let her take communion so you're fired. That's what this reminded me of. These people came and they didn't have their membership in good standing and God let them participate in Passover anyway. He let a priest intercede on their behalf. See, that's our God, amen? He's not, again, they're not gonna come back ignorant. God's gonna teach them what they needed to do going forward because it was a picture of the cross. But in this case, when they came and they came ignorant of what they're supposed to do, God didn't kick them down the street. He let them come anyway, amen? That's the God that we serve. And as a a church, here's my heart always. If people come and they don't know what they're supposed to do, and even, there was a guy when we were in Calabasas, he would come up after service all the time and he was a new Christian, he was a surfer dude, he'd come in wet all the time with no shoes on and he'd come in and it wasn't Ricky, okay, but it was somebody else. So he came up and the first three or four times he would ask me to pray with him and then he would say to me, Pastor, that was a great blanking message. And you kind of wince, but then you go, he's a new believer, man, so, you know what I mean? Hey, bro, yeah, probably not the best. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Next week, same thing, great blanking message, bro. But here's the reality, does the Lord love him? What's the answer? Can we show that brother some grace? We're all works in progress, amen? And I've been at churches where, you know, if you were in the back and you didn't have the right tie on, they'd kick you out, Right? That's not the body of Christ. And I love this picture here that even those that came in their ignorance didn't know how to be prepared. God said, look, it's okay. We're gonna let you participate. We're gonna have the priest intercede on your behalf. And next year, we're gonna teach you how to come right. And that's what we ought to do, amen? I love that picture. So verse 17 there, he said there, are Passover lambs, for they were many in the assembly who did not, were not sanctified Therefore, they did it on their behalf. So point number three, by living a justified and sanctified life. Number four, by resting in the grace of God. Look at verse 18. For a multitude of people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. So here's some of them. They also took the Passover feast. They weren't supposed to do that either. And what does Hezekiah do? Lord, could you just bless them? Lord, they don't understand. Lord will show them the right way. Such a picture, again, of God's grace. They had a heart to seek the Lord, but they didn't fully understand it at the time. Verse 19, who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary? And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. See, you said, look, they didn't come the right way, but Lord, you know their heart. And that's my heart too, is that I will, I'd rather err on the side of grace. This is not a police station. It's a hospital, amen? People don't come here for us to hit them with sticks to get them right. They come here because they're wounded and broken like we all are, and they need to be saved. And we need to show them grace however they come, amen? And I've had people recently even talk to me about different thing how people dress or this or that and I'm like I don't care I don't care what you wear just wear something can I get an amen to that but I just don't care I don't care man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the on the heart let's just love people amen finally we're running out of time here last point by continuing to grow in intimate fellowship with the Lord it Says so the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept if my page will turn really there we go. Kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by what? What does it say? What does it say? Loud, loud instruments. Just remember that, Tim. Next time they think it's too loud. Yeah. Loud instruments. Guys, there is a time to be solemn in your worship, but I think most of the time we ought to be shouting from the mountaintops. Can I get an amen to that? And notice what's taking place. There was nothing in the temple. There was no Passover for 200 years and now they're singing at the top of their lungs. There's loud worship, they're praising God. The people have gathered together. God is being glorified and they love it so much. Look what happens. Look at verse 22, and Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. See, this is, look what's happening in this fellowship. They're worshiping. They're making confession. Hezekiah is teaching them the word of God. Isn't that what the church is supposed to look like? We worship. We encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. We teach the whole counsel of God. And that's exactly what's taking place. And all this has happened because of the Lord, but God used one man who took down the shutters off of a shuttered up church, who reinstated the true worship of the true and living God when nobody else would, and watch what God does. Worship, teaching, and Fellowship. And man, they love being with with each other so much. Look what it says in verse 23. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. For a week, they've been worshiping the Lord. They're having feasts together. They're praising God. They're praying. They're learning about the Lord. They're so excited. They've thrown all the altars into the brook. And now they're like, let's do this another week. Have any of you ever been to a retreat where you just didn't want to go home? You go to a retreat, you have that, you're just hanging out with the Lord, there's no distractions, and you're like, can we just stay another week? Well, that's what they did. And you know what? Hezekiah, because they have to make sacrifices for another week to take place, watch what he does. Verse 24, for Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and 7,000 sheep and the leaders gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and the great number of priests sanctified themselves. And the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced, and all the priests and Levites, and all the assembly that came down from Israel, and the sojourners from the land of Israel, and those who dwelt in Judah. Look what's happening. There's unity taking place all in worship to the true and living God, and that's where unity happens. Amen? And notice that Hezekiah and the leaders gave all of these animals so it could continue because Hezekiah's number one priority was not building up wealth for himself, but seeing the kingdom of God being built up and God being glorified. I love Hezekiah's heart. He's still not worried about the enemies. By the way, did the idols kind of take care of themselves? Right, he sought first the kingdom of God and what did God do? He he just said, we're gonna get God right first. And then the people went down and did it for him. We're getting rid of all the, alt- the idols. And he's not worried about the Assyrians because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. I want to hang out with this brother. Amen? Notice this too, that for him, giving to further the kingdom of God is such a get to. I don't want to encourage all of us. You know, we don't pass an offering and, we, and God, where God guides, God provides. And you certainly know that's not my heart at all. But I do believe that If you don't give, you're missing out on the blessing of giving. Because everything we have belongs to the Lord, right? And I just, I love to give. To me, it's an act of worship. I just love to do it. I learned as a kid, my dad, uh, when I was a little boy, you know, my dad made, didn't make a lot of money, he was a pastor. My allowance, you ready? 25 cents a week. And he'd give me two dimes and a nickel so I could tie a nickel when they brought the little white church around with the slot in it in Sunday school. You put the nickel in there. And my God, my dad taught me something that I've kept my whole life. You give to God first, you save second, you live on the rest. And that's all that Lynette and I have ever done. We give to God first, we save second, we live on the rest. And God has always provided. He's a faithful God. And so here he is, he's like, I'll give everything to the Lord. Hezekiah's like, it's all his anyway. You need a 1,000 more sheep, here you go. Se- 7,000 more sheep, you want a 1,000 bulls, do it. Want to keep going for another week worshiping God? What do you need? Let's make it happen. Let me finish up. Then it says in verse 25, the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. The priests and the Levites, assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners. So you got, you got people that were fighting in wars and hated each other, and they're all worshiping together. Praise God, Amen. Verse 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Over 200 years, There had not been this kind of rejoicing in Jerusalem. And now it has come back. And praise God for one king who had the most evil dad, who stood for the things of God, made God the priority again, brought revival to the whole nation. And now for the first time in 200 years, there's greater rejoicing in Israel than there's ever. Praise God, amen? And then last verse it says, then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place in heaven. And notice that they're worshiping, they're fellowshipping, they're studying the word of God, and they're praying. Amen? It says in the Acts 2.42, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And we see that model all these hundreds and hundreds of years ago so in closing it's time to come home by being reminded of all the lord has done for you by boldly calling a lost world to repent by living both a justified and a sanctified life by resting in the grace of god and by continuing to grow in intimate fellowship with the lord lord we thank you we praise you we love you i thank you for everyone who's here tonight none by chance all by divine appointment lord help us Give us opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. Help us to live lives unashamed of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We know that we don't need to do anything else to be saved because you've redeemed us. You've forgiven us. But Lord, we want to be tools in your hands. We want to be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we pray for revival in Canal Valley and beyond. But start in our hearts first. We ask these things. In your holy and precious name we pray and all God's people said...